Good evening, everyone. What a delight it is to be gathered together again in the Lord's house. A very warm welcome to all of you this evening, and a special welcome to any visitors among us tonight. It's a joy for us to have you with us as well. And whether you're a visitor or a regular, it is our prayer that God would encourage your hearts and minister to you by the word of Christ and by Christ's Spirit himself. We've gathered here this evening to worship God, and so as we come into His presence, I'd like to welcome you to stand. As we come into His presence and He addresses us and calls us to worship Him with the words of Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with the tambourine and lyre. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we draw near to you tonight, as we hear your call to worship, your summon to worship you, we do ask that you would give us eyes of faith that might look beyond these mortal things, that we might look beyond uh, the man that leads our service and the man that preaches, that we might look beyond musicians, beyond screens, beyond books, and that we might see by faith the Lord Jesus Christ and worship Him with a whole heart. We ask that You would encourage us and minister to us, that by Your own hand, you would tenderly care for us. And we ask that you would en enable us to minister to one another even as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come, brothers and sisters, let us worship God with the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
We're going to open up the Bible together, turn through to the Old Testament as we continue reading our way through the story of the Bible. Each Sunday evening, we find ourselves in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 5. The last thing we heard about was the judgment of God striking the house of Eli and the ark being captured. And now we pick up with the next section and we follow the ark. We follow the ark into Philistine territory. 1 Samuel chapter 5, and this is God's word for you tonight. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back up in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left of him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of God, of the God of Israel, be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let her return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the city, the cry of the city went up to heaven. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. So far the reading of God's word. The Lord is big enough to look after himself. Even when the people of God deny to give him glory, the people of God become Ichabod. God himself continues to maintain his glory. 
and establishes glory and praise. And so he does among God's enemies. It's amazing, isn't it, in those first six odd verses, how you just sort of get Dagon, 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 just repeated over and over again. And it's because the author's trying really hard to stress to you that Dagon is nothing but a fake statue with a name. But the God of the earth is holy and filled with glory and power. So let's come before him in a time of prayer.
Do we have any children that would like to come to the front this evening? Any courageous children? Oh, good. Very good. All right, I've got a very hard question for you, who, and I think one child up here is going to know the answer to this question. Who knows what a missionary is? Oh, you know what a missionary is. Whoa, what's a missionary? Someone that, yeah, it's hard to explain, eh? Um, do you know anyone that's a missionary? My family. Oh, of course, yes, your family, quite right. Missionaries, uh, do missionaries stay at home? Not no, they go somewhere generally, don't they? Normally, missionaries go somewhere else. Um, so, what country are you from? Uh, my family's from Brazil, but I'm from Chile. Very good. So, from Chile and Brazil. Very good. And are you there now? Are you there now? No, because you're missionaries, right? So you left your country and you came somewhere else. You came to New Zealand. That's right. You came all the way to New Zealand. And Ejima, why did you come to New Zealand? Where's Ejima? There. Why did you come to New Zealand? To share the gospel. Hallelujah. That's what missionaries do, don't they? But Ejima is an easy to be in a different country with a different culture and language. It's very difficult, yes. Having to, oh no, it's easy. Your son said it's easy. Um, <laughs> you have to learn a different culture. You have to learn different language and it gets very, very hard. And, and we, love to, we love to praise missionaries. We love to thank them. We love to pray for them and support them because what they do is really, really important. My parents did it. Probably other people in the church have family that have done it. Cross-cultural missionaries, very, very important. Um, and I wonder who, who would be the most important cross-cultural missionary? Who do you think would be the greatest missionary? Jesus. Yes, that's right. Because Jesus left his own country, didn't he? He left heaven. And he went on an amazing missionary journey all the way into a foreign land. Into a land filled with darkness and sadness, and sorrow, a place where people spoke funny, a place where people were mean, a place where people would kill missionaries. You know, and when Jesus left, do you know what he said? Go and do likewise. He sent his disciples out to do the same thing, didn't he? And he wants all of us to be missionaries. Not all of us have to go overseas to do it, but all of us have to do it whether it's just across the road over there, whether it's at our school, whether it's in our family, all of us need to tell people about Jesus, don't we? Because everyone needs to know. And Jesus is the great example. And we're going to be looking at, at him as a missionary a little bit later on from a wonderful passage in Isaiah. But before we get to there, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious missionary. We thank you for all that he has done. And we ask that God, as we, as we look at him, that you would help us to appreciate all that he actually did and all that he brought and all that he achieved. And that you would help us to go and do likewise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing. 
our next song, which is For Unto Us a Child is Born. And then if you would like, you can find coloring sheets. And then after that, we'll sing This is Our God, the Servant King. Let's stand and sing.
Bibles with you. We're going to be opening up the scriptures together. Turning through to the prophet Isaiah, those very well-known Christmas words at Isaiah chapter 9. Just um, to help you understand, we're picking up at verse 2. And if you look at the little footnotes down the bottom, you'll see number three, if you have them, it says, this is chapter 8, verse 23, and number five, this is chapter 9, verse 1 in the Hebrew. Uh, I'm not sure why in the English it's shifted around like this, but at some point it happened, and then they sort of gets real messy when you start changing verse numbers around between translations, so they tend to just leave things the way they are. But we're going to be looking at verse 2 because that is the natural start to the chapter and verse 1 fits far better with the section before it. We're going to look at verse 2 through to verse 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government 
shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us. And as we come to consider it, let us come before him in a time of prayer and seek his help. Let's pray. Lord, we are in need of your help. Father, we long to hear the voice of your Son. And yet it can be hard for us at times. And many times we only hear the voice of a man. And Father, regardless of how well a man preaches in and of himself, he can never speak for Christ. But by your Spirit, we hear his voice in our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that you would cause your Holy Spirit to make the words of Christ echo in the hearts of all of us. Lord, hearer and speaker alike would leave here knowing that we have heard from our blessed Savior. And we pray that we would see him with fresh eyes tonight. And Father, as we turn to a familiar passage for many of us, one which we have sung many times, one which we have read year to year at Christmas, we ask that you would press it with freshness upon the soul of all, all of us that you might be uh, worshipped and that your son might be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder who your favorite missionary is. Now, I know the children have already, children talks already spoiled it, right? So it's not like, surprise, it's Jesus. But I wonder who your actual favorite missionary is. You know, is it John Patton to the New Hebrides? Is it Henry Martin? Who, who would, if you were to pick one person to be or to meet, or one biography that you love to return to over and over again, I wonder who it would be. Now, of course, the, the reality is Jesus is our missionary, isn't he? He is the most glorious missionary. In our passage before us tonight, Isaiah doesn't see him clearly, does he? We're told in the New Testament that the prophets searched and wrestled to try and figure out what it was that they were prophesying of. They couldn't see clearly. And, and in our passage, Isaiah looks into the future and, and sees a coming one. 
I've called him a missionary because he's very similar to a missionary. A missionary goes with hope to where there is no hope. A missionary takes the message of light, the message of the gospel, the message of God's grace, and takes it into the darkness, don't they? And that's what Isaiah sees. And so I want us to consider the birth of Jesus from the perspective of a coming promised Messiah, missionary, savior. It is set in a period of darkness that you have to understand, to understand the significance of this verse. I know we hear it so commonly, don't we? We hear it almost every Christmas, every one of our carol services. I introduce with this section of Scripture every year, over and over again. But sometimes in doing so, we we lose the picture of what's going on. Have a look at chapter 8 and just look at the little heading. The coming Assyrian invasion. Verse 3, I, I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name, in case you're looking for a name for any of your uh, children, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, and yes, that's one word. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shaloah that flowed greatly and rejoice over Rezin and the sons of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. 
Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they not inquire of the should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed. And hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So what, what's going on here is in the context of chapter 8, God is announcing the, the incoming of Assyria. Assyria is coming. Now, Assyria is coming doesn't sort of have much power to our ears, does it? Because Assyria is a long way away from us. But could you imagine living in a village in Mongolia and someone said, Genghis Khan is coming? How would you feel? You're terrified. That's right. Terrified. Genghis Khan's coming. Run for the hills. Hide. Pack up. Run. Or Stalin's coming. Hitler's coming. Terrified. And that's what it was like for the, the people of this time to hear the prophet say, Assyria is coming like a river. You're trusting in streams, but a river is coming for you. And it's going to flood right into Israel. And it's going to wash Israel out. And it's going to come right up to Jerusalem. And it will leave you in gloom and anguish and terror. Isaiah says, but it's as though in the midst of the, the, the declaring of this vision of destruction, Isaiah, by the grace of God, looks, you remember the darkness hasn't come right, so he looks at the darkness and he sees through the darkness and he sees out the other side to the darkness and he sees the shadow with the sun behind it. You know what it's like when you look up and there's a tree and the sun is blazing behind it? You can't make out the tree, can you? You just see that black image of a tree with the burning sun behind it. That's what he sees. He looks up and he sees a black shadow with the sun erupting forth. And, and the black outline that he sees is Isaiah 9, verse 2 to 7. 
He sees the image of a man, a missionary. Someone coming to the people of God in their anguish, in their gloom, in their sorrow, in their pitiable state. And the question I have for us tonight is, what does he see? What does he see? Firstly, I want us to think about about what what he, he sees that this coming person, this missionary, is going to do. Secondly, we're going to consider who this missionary will be. Who is this figure? How is he described? And then, if there's time, we'll briefly consider a couple of points of application at the end. So firstly, what will this coming figure, this coming missionary bring? We see three things. Firstly, verse 2, he will bring light to the darkness, light to the gloom, light to the anguish. Have a look at verse 2 with me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light Shone. You know, can, can you imagine what it must have been like in the Garden of Eden with the glory of God around you? I mean, it was still night and day. Can you imagine the glory of God emanating forth around you as he walked in the cool of the day? And yet they were cast out into the wilderness, right? Into the darkness. Can you imagine what it must have been like in Egypt when it was black? Darkness. And yet in the midst of this darkness, a ray erupts. The light erupts. It's the light of the world, isn't it? It's he who threw whom all things were made. It's he who would stand up and say, I am the light of the world. Isn't that exactly what missionaries do? My, my mum's got this fabulous photo. Uh, in, in Papua New Guinea, um, there was, they were doing some work with a, a group of very young Christians and unbelievers. And it was dark at night. And there's no power, of course. But, but they're trying to read their Bibles. And she's got this photo of this Papua New Guinean man hunched down on his knees like this, reading his Bible with a torch in hand, lighting it up, just sitting there reading the Word, longing to soak it in, longing to see in the midst of the darkness. And one of the most common refrains that my parents heard in Papua New Guinea was, before... The missionaries came to Papua New Guinea. We lived in darkness. We were killing one another off. We were eating one another. And we were dying. But then the light came. And you missionaries brought it. That's what Jesus did, right? 
This is why Malachi calls him the son of righteousness. S-U-N. The son of righteousness has dawned with healing in its wings. The light has dawned upon these people. You see, they're, they're facing Assyria. They're facing blackness. They're facing terror. But this one will bring light. And isn't it striking that when you get to the end of the book, God says, there will be no sun because God will be their lamp. Don't take that literally and wonder if you're going to be awake all day. Point is, the glory of God will be such that the sun will seem like a match in the broad daylight because God will be present with his people. That's what we're heading for. Perfect light. All of those scary things, they vanish in the daylight, don't they? The amount of times I had to go into my children's rooms in the middle of the night because they were terrified of something. I'd chase things out of the cupboards and find the monster under the bed and give them a cuddle and tell them it's okay. But as soon as the light flicks on, what happens? The child goes, oh, there was something in the cupboard. I saw it, but it's gone now. So too with the coming of this missionary. Notice the second thing this missionary will bring. Verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. What will this missionary bring? Firstly, light. Secondly, joy. Don't you long for joy? It's elusive, isn't it? But don't you long for true joy that lasts? I've, I've been invited uh, to New Plymouth next year to speak at a conference, and, and they've asked me to speak on joy. And just after they did that, around about a month later, the session approved that, said I could go, and I was great. And so I started outlining what I might talk about and the way I might go. And, he, and you know, the Joshua Flynn needed some details and, and things like this. And about two months later, I sank down into a massive pit of depression and despair. Lasted for about two months long. And, and all I wanted was joy. I wanted the joy that I had. And I remember sending a message to Joshua and saying to him, I think you might have selected the wrong person. Because I don't know what joy is. I don't know how to get it. All I know is sorrow and blackness. And my good friend being my good friend, he was like, No, you sound like the perfect person to do it. That'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. And joy. You feel that pit in the bottom of your heart that just desperately needs joy. Well, we're told this missionary will bring joy. I mean... Can you imagine the sorrow? I mean, we've got no idea, right? We, we haven't seen war. We don't even know. We've got no comprehension of the horror of this. When my grandfather was very old, he was almost dying, he had dementia. He never spoke about World War II in Holland. Never spoke about it. He was just too traumatized. Never mentioned it. Right at the end of his life, all of a sudden, he just started talking about it. And just the horrors of the things they saw. 
And, and the people were just left broken, twisted, filled with sorrow and brokenness. Could you imagine what it would look like after Assyria had washed over Israel and Judah? Pillaging, raping, murdering, butchering, destroying, salting fields. Even if you're lucky to make it out the other side, what have you got left? Utter despair and sorrow. And Isaiah looks in the future and he sees joy. How can you see joy? Because the God of joy is coming. He who says, blessed are they who weep, for they shall laugh. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you shall be comforted. That one was coming. You see, that's the only place joy is found. You're not going to find it in this world. When you're in the pits of despair, the only place you can look is up, right? Because if you look sideways, you just see the side of a hole. But if you look up, you see the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you find joy in your sorrow, rejoicing in your weeping. Joy as with joy at the harvest. I mean, can you imagine how good a harvest must have been? We, I mean, we just go to the supermarket, right? It's not, it's not very exciting. Kids find it exciting, right? When you come home with the groceries, they're like, yes, bananas, yeah, groceries. But can you imagine what it's like when you've been working all season long and finally the harvest is ready? And you bring it in and you go out and you work for three, four days harvesting and harvesting and harvesting. I mean, I've got a fraction of an understanding of this from dairy farming, but no comprehension of being outside cutting by hand. You're gathering it and you're gathering it. You finally get all ready and you sit down at the table with your family and your friends and your loved ones and you spread this banquet of joy before your family. And you say, take, eat, remember and believe that we have a God who provides everything we need. Oh, isn't it joy to come to the Lord's table? I wish we could have Lord's Supper tonight. That I might hold up the cup and say, it's the cup that's been blessed. It's a cup of joy. It's the bread of joy. Look at your Savior. This is our missionary. Like one who finds spoil, divides the spoil. You know, you, I mean, you know what it's like when you go to war, right? You conquer the enemy. Oh, no, we don't. That's right. You conquer the enemy. There's this great story in the Old Testament where the Assyrians, it's great. I love it that it's the Assyrians. The Assyrians drive right up to Jerusalem. And, and the king's there. And the king's despairing. He's like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God says, don't you worry about it. i got this sorted. Angel of death goes out and just smites everybody. And a bunch of lepers who were stuck outside the city, 
They're like, well, we could stay here and starve to death or we could be traders and go over there. They might feed us. Sounds like a great idea. They walk over there. What do they find? Spoil everywhere. It's just stuff strewn everywhere as the Assyrians have run for their life. They're just, whoa, look at all this stuff. And they start grabbing it. And they're hiding it in cubby holes. You're enjoying You can imagine them. Like, oh, we found it. We won the lotto. Like, yeah. And they go, oh, we better go tell someone. They go back and tell the king. And what happens? Everyone pours out. They flow out of the city with delight and joy. The, the feeling of relief. Our sorrow's gone. The famine's broken. The Lord has provided. This is what it will be like when this man comes. But notice, notice another thing that this man will bring. This, this figure in a shadow will bring. Verse 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden... And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This, this coming one will bring light. He will bring joy and he will bring peace, won't he? Why peace? Well, that's obvious for Isaiah's time, right? Assyria's coming. We're going to be a state of war. We're desperately going to need peace. But the one coming said, I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. That's what Jesus said, right? I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. What sort of peace would this one bring? He would bring reconciliation with man and God. Why? Because as Romans tells us, while we were at enmity, while we were enemies, he died for us. Jesus Christ would come to create peace, not just between, I don't know, Russia and Ukraine. I mean, that's small fries. Between God and man. Do you know the peace of God? You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. And grant you peace. Do you know the peace of God? Have you had peace made between you and God? And do you realize that in doing so, Christ has given you peace with one another? Is there, is there a fellow Christian in your life that you're at war with? Maybe not at war with like, you know, I'm throwing things over their fence. But, you know, like deep in the, deep in the burrows of your heart somewhere, you hold a deep-seated bitterness and vengeance towards them. It's easy to do, right? This one would come to establish peace between you and his gospel. And I love the picture he uses. He says in verse 4 that you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now ask yourself, what's the day of Midian? Anyone remember Midian in the Old Testament? 
there was some little guy that was used to destroy Midian, right? Some nobody called Gideon. And, you know, Gideon was really pretty clever, right? Well, I've got to go to war, so I'm going to need a big army. And God's like, no, you're not. You're going to need a smaller army. So, you know, Midian, uh, Gideon like halves his army. A fear, you know, he's like, well, I need some troops. God's like, yeah, that's too many because I'm getting the glory. So we just want a couple of hundred. That'd be great. I mean, can you imagine what's going through Gideon's mind at that point? Are you insane? There's like tens and hundreds of thousands. It's off the top of my head, 120,000 Midianites. It's 120,000 of them. How are 200 of us ever going to win? Well, as Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. And, and so Midian's like the perfect example. Why? Because Gideon does nothing and God does everything. That's the whole point of the analogy. No man is going to do anything to achieve this peace. It will be done by God himself through the most pathetic example. It's like, what? Death on a cross? Are you kidding me? That's insane. What a glorious the cross. It's folly to the world. It's stupidity to the world. It's nuts. You wear crosses around your neck. What's wrong with you? It's a torture device. Can you imagine wearing an electric chair around your neck? People would think you were a nut job. That's what you're doing. Because what is a folly to this world is glory to us, right? Because in it is peace. And this peace will be so total that what they're going to do, and this picture's great, what they're going to do in verse 5, they're going to get every garment that has blood. So it's post-war, right? So garments are covered in blood. Things are filthy. They're going to just bold them up. They're going to grab them. They're going to roll them up. And they're just going to use them as fuel for the fire. It's like, well, we're never going to need this again. There's never going to be another war. We're just going to have these in the fire forever. What's it a picture of? The peace is complete. You're never going to be at war with God again. And you're never going to be at war with one another again. And for shame that sometimes we do. Don't turn on one another, brothers and sisters. But this peace will be so achieved that never again will you need a garment of war. Because you will dwell in peace with God forever. It makes no difference what you've done. It makes no difference whether you were a general in the enemy's army or whether you were a pleb. It makes no difference if you are a, a big sinner or a little sinner. No matter how great your sins were, God's grace was greater. And God's peace is greater still. And never will you have to work another day for righteousness. Never will you have to work for peace. Never will you have to work for light. Never will you have to work for joy. Because all of it is provided by God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the love, the light, the joy, the peace of God. 
That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The dawning of light. What did the angels sing? Good news of great sorrow. Good news of great joy. And peace on earth for all men. Are you all men? Well, there was meant to be a second point. Who is this one? Let's quickly look at it. Verse 6 tells us he will be a child, a son, and a king. It's our Jesus, right? The Son of God, a child in a manger, and the King of Kings. Who will receive presents from men from Orient. But notice these four titles given to him. They're very important. We'll just look at these four titles. Wonderful Counselor. Or, or you could translate, us, translate this a miraculous advisor. Now think war-torn place, right? You desperately need advisors in a war-torn place. And let's be frank, we're filled and bound up with folly, aren't we? So God sent wisdom. God sent the one that Proverbs calls the wisdom of God. He is mighty God. He is the Almighty God. Do you understand the Almighty God? It's Him. He is the everlasting Father. Why the everlasting Father? You think to yourself, hey, wait a second. I thought the Father was the Father and the Son was the Son. How can the Son be the everlasting Father? What does a father do to a sorrowing child? He picks him up in his arms. And he sits him on his lap and he rocks him back and forth and he says, Shh, my child, it's okay. Daddy's here. You see, this war-torn, sorrowed, broken people would have one who would come, who would gather up the nations in his arms and wipe away their tears. And one more. The Prince of Peace, the leader of peace, the one who would not just establish peace in his day, but would lead forth peace into all eternity. This is our Jesus. Do you know him? Do you love him? Well, you know, can I tell you, my favorite missionary is probably Henry Martin. But I'd much rather, rather read the missionary biography of Jesus, wouldn't you? It's recorded in the Gospels. It's a great read. It's a bestseller, actually. Most sold book in the world. And can I tell you, before he left, he sent 12, or 11, I suppose, 11 disciples to go and do the work for him, didn't he? 
And you know, those 11 gave it to a few thousand more. And those few thousand more gave it to a whole heap more. And, and some 2,000 years later, Ejumar turned up in New Zealand. And so did you. You see, all of us have a part to play in this, don't we? This Christmas and every day of our life. Taking the light into the darkness. Taking joy into a broken world. Taking peace to a war-torn, ravaged people. Well, I wonder, will you... Will you join me in this mission? Taking Christ to New Zealand? Ah, it's worthy of every sacrifice, isn't it? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, there is a great task before us. But Lord, you have paved, paved the way in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he who has gone before us is all light, all joy, all peace. We thank you for this glorious testimony of the work of Christ. And we ask, help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it might seem like a strange hymn to close on Christmas Eve, but let's stand and sing Facing a Task Unfinished. And then I'll ask you to remain standing for the Lord's blessing.
Well, as you go forth to do the mission of the Lord this Christmas, do so with the Lord's blessing upon you. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified through the Lord Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, blessed be the Lord our God.